Hello and welcome to Open All Ours, the QPR podcast. I'm David Fraser. Tonight there are three of us um, talking about, it seems like so much has happened. Um, Paul is here, Paul Finney. All right. How are you, Paul? I'm okay. I'm back in the fold and um, good to be back. Thank you, David. And how are you? Welcome back. Um, I'm, 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 not, I'm not actually having a great week. I haven't enjoyed being told by... The government to be back at home now if i'm entirely honest and burdening you with a problem that is not your own um but i am going to boxing i've never done it before after this i'm going to a boxing class to hit something so hopefully i will feel a bit better after that but thank you for asking you didn't expect that answer you expected me to say yeah fine okay uh clive is also here at the part to be shocked by your good self well there you go Clive is also here. Hello, Clive. Hello, how are we? Well, I already know. <laughs> Not great. <laughs> how are you? Clive Whittingham from Loft for Words, if nobody knows. How are you, Clive? Uh, yeah, very, very busy and tired. Um, but yeah, getting there, I guess. Um, and we're recording. We don't even know when we're recording this podcast at the moment. We sort of haven't got into a routine with this season. But it's Thursday. And... The Coventry game seems ages ago, and there's so much has happened since. Um, but we'll try and get through it all. Um, thank you to everyone uh, for joining us. If this is your first time or you're stumbling across us, you can go onto our website at qprpod.co.uk, um, listen to all our episodes. Um, thank you very much to our, those who support the show. Uh, today we have, we've got two sponsors. We've got the beer sponsor which is Rob Crawford. So thank you, Rob. Uh, and the episode sponsor, which is Dave West, who has said, hello, chaps and Flo, who isn't here tonight, but hello to Flo anyway. Really looking forward to the podcast returning for the new season. Big supporter. Believe this is probably, along with Loft for Words, um, and Clive is of from that parish is here tonight, the best QPR podcast going. Honest views, intelligent conversation, and debate, yes, even Finney. Has he been uh, listening to the right thing? I'm not sure. Do you know what? Dave is actually a really nice fellow, so he's always nice. So we'll take that. Thank you, Dave. But I think you'll be listening to the wrong podcast. I think he's had another podcast on. I think so. Um, he has been dealing with, um, he's got a spinal injury and has had a number of surgeries. And he says, I've just had the big op I was waiting on. I've been listening to old podcasts to keep my mind occupied whilst I recover. Thank you. Keep up the great work, you ours. He'll have heard all, heard, heard all our dreadful predictions from years past, like Samba Diakite, player of the year and things like that. <laughs> well, he's listening to old episodes. What is your favourite episode ever? That- uh, the, one, uh, the one where Finney's mate came in and sang the song about Ashley Young. And uh, the one where Chris Mendes uh, made a mistake about Gibral Cisse and Philip Beard's daughter. Oh, Although awesome. that might actually be the same episode, but those are the two things that stand out for me. So he said that Gibral Cisse was carrying on with Phil Beard, the former chief executive's daughter. But he, he, thought, meant- he thought we, no, Dave, he thought we were we were having a conversation, and he thought we were having a very flippant conversation about Cisse having a relationship with. 
what would have been a very young teenage girl and he was horrified until we someone explained it was it was actually philip green's daughter philip green's daughter yeah exactly he's looking like us like he's about to phone the police at one stage which is fair enough and i was not exactly saying no do you know my, my i've got two good ones because i think for sheer amazement was the mark bourne one because i don't think i'd ever it took me about three months to get over that one just because he was kind of a little bit um um intoxicated more than me which is unusual and my favorite one of all time was just that when we did with Ali Fallan in the studio because he was such a nice fella and he was so decent and so humble I enjoyed I've, I've enjoyed loads actually there's too many to name but that they they stand out and the Joey Bottom one because I found out so much about Newcastle the Mark uh the Mark Bowen one always stands out to me when people talk about how people that don't work in football don't understand football I would always encourage them to listen to that Mark <laughs> one for someone who works within football and has for a long time and hasn't got a single clue what he's talking about. So this was in the final days of Mark Hughes's reign. He was the assistant manager and he came on, didn't he? And I want to think it kind of was one of the final nails in the coffin for that management duo and he didn't have a clue and he was clearly drunk and he couldn't explain anything. To be fair to him, he did give his art. He did give his time over what must have been a horrible time for him, and it says a lot for Mark Hughes that he made Bowen do it rather than doing it himself. But yeah, also it was just like watching a car crash into a shuttle crash all at once. I think I think it was when he sort of said he didn't do any defensive training and nobody was shocked. (laughs) There was no kind of gas and kind of oh really, but it was kind of like yeah, seen that coming. Of course we don't. Um, uh, they were the days, eh, Dave? They were the days. Mine was, mine was um, not that you've asked, but um, mine was, well, they say you never forget your first time, don't they, Finney? So mine, I think our <laughs> first big guest face-to-face was Sean Derry, way back season one, oh, yeah. 2011, which I think you can find on our website. It's, it was with an old old production company, so it's somewhere in there in the archive. but. Sean Derry came into the studio. He drove up to central London. He came in. We didn't know what we were doing. Not that we do now, but we definitely didn't know what we were doing then. And he spent two hours with us, didn't he? He came to the pub with us and he was, it, I, I thought this might work, this podcast. So that was, I would say that's probably mine because that was the first big guest that we had. And he's come on since. He did a live with us, didn't he? Two years ago, I want to say. Yeah, he's, I think he's, we're, yeah, and he actually enjoys it. He's he's a good lad, is John Derry. I say lad because I'm at an age now where every frigger is younger than me. But um, we've had some good guests on. We've had some interesting guests on. We've had some absolutely shockers on. We have. Um, I won't. I try not to mention John Byrne though to you because I know you get upset when I do. So we John Byrne was John Byrne was much better after that. He. Once he felt the love from the hoops, he was back in fold again. Well, anyway, anyone that can make Chelsea look that stupid deserves the all the Bible. He just deserves it because he was a genius and I loved him. And I don't care. He could have told me that I was the biggest arsehole in the world and I'd shake his hand. Basically did. Yeah, probably. He, 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 he did. Um, <laughs> we, we've, we've done a good eight minutes avoiding Coventry and talking about it. Um, we've got quite a long list of other things that we need to go through. So cast your mind back 
to f- nearly a week ago now. We should have done a podcast before now. Um, but such was the trauma, I think we avoided doing it. Um, we sent ourselves to Coventry, David. There you go, there's a pun. We did. Sent ourselves to Coventry is the title of this podcast. Clive, try and remember last Friday and tell us what you thought. Thought we started quite well. Thought we were much a better team for 40 minutes. Thought Coventry looked very poor. Um, and after about 40 minutes, could only see one winner. Um, they not only hadn't been in the game, they hadn't even really been in our half. Um, we didn't create a lot of chances with that. And I don't think when we've got the ball, it really works with Amos at 10. I know that they like him there because of his high press, but I haven't seen anything from him over the last year to suggest he's an attacking threat. And with him at 10 instead of Eze, Dykes looks quite isolated. We often kept turning back inside and playing backwards passes, particularly chair. Um, and I don't know whether... I, my theory is that was just a lack of options because they were looking up and just seeing Dykes and nobody else. Um, so for all the possession we had, we didn't actually create that many chances, but I just thought we were so dominant that you would score anyway just by being that dominant in the game. And that's how it turned out. We got 1-0 up and I, I just wasn't even the slightest bit concerned. We then conceded a goal which if you watch it back, I think there are six fundamental defensive errors in it. Amos doesn't close his man down. Barbe, for some reason, comes herring out of the defence and crashes into someone, taking himself out of the game. Kake lets a cross come over. What Lee Wallace is doing, I just don't know. I'd love someone that's played professional left-back to tell me why you run away from your man at the back post to go and mark space at the near post that's not even your side. I just, I don't get that. And Lumley didn't get his, and Lumley didn't sort his feet out. So. Fine, doesn't need to be a disaster, but second half, we just came out and looked like we'd had a punch in the gut, like all the confidence had gone, Where and Coventry had realised maybe they're not that good after all. And they said afterwards in the post-match, oh, it was flat at half-time, and that's, that's a bit of a worry to me. Like you've con- It's the first goal we've conceded this season. We've beaten Forest 2-0, we've played well. You know, if it's flat at half-time, lift it, let's, you know, let's go again. We just, we were, sh- I thought we were abysmal second half. And, I mean... Two or three defensive errors again for the th- the second Coventry goal. Guy escapes from having three players around him. Barbe and Dicky poor. Lumley stuck to his line, and then the, obviously the winning goal. Like three corners in three minutes, a free header every time, and whatever Warburton's sort of reasoning that he gave to me in the interview about why we concede so much from set pieces, none of those reasons really apply to Carl McFadden, who's no better than what we've got, no taller than what we've got, no better paid than what we've got. And to just let him have three free runs on your goal from a corner in three minutes, you were never going to keep getting away with that. Um, so, yeah, from bright starts, it was a horrible ending and almost entirely of our own doing. I think that pretty much covers it, Finney. Well, I had a bizarre experience last Friday, as usual in my life. It's never easy. So my daughter was going to Nottingham University. And I had to drive up. Yeah. Someone related to you is... <laughs> Very good. Carry on. Carry on. And, um, so I, and I still can't get used to this. I actually thought I'd see QPR fans on the M1. I know this sounds really stupid. but Of course, there's no fans going. But I'm looking for QPR vehicles on the M1 so I could honk them or they could honk. There wasn't any. So obviously I felt a bit of an idiot. Um, once I moved in and sorted her out and everything else was fine in Gandhi. She actually met a QPR fan that night, actually, who 
apparently I knew it. Norwich. Anyway, he was very nice and talked to her and, and she says she can't get away from QPR fans, it seemed to not be. So anyway, and I listened to it in the radio, so I didn't see it. I watched it on the Sunday and I watched it back. And it, yeah, Clive just summed it brilliantly. What worried me was, and yeah, Clive's picked up on this, the way the heads went down and, and, and just, you know, we didn't really have a real go at Cumbric, who were there from taking. And the worrying thing was that I think once we, we punched ourselves out in 40 minutes and couldn't really hurt them so much, you're right, they gained a lot of confidence. And it's just, you know, I know a lot of people blame Lumley, but Clive's right. The whole defence for their goals at times was, I mean, that one we were talking about, you know, Barbe running out and Wallace, you know, doing space and going this and doing the other. It's just, yeah, it's a bit of a hard one for a manager to defend. And I, I don't think he did. Um, it's just disappointing because it just everyone straight away is on Twitter having to go at each other yet again in this one game as Klaus said but I was a bit worried how you can concede one goal and just go to pieces like that that's just weird um, don't know what's going on with Ryan Manning obviously something's going on with the contract but the sooner we get someone in that team who could defend the better as far as I'm concerned but yeah it's disappointing we're hell of, we have a hell of a penalty taker though don't we I mean one thing you can say I don't think he's going to miss many and if he carries on like that he could take down a torpedo that block that's amazing and I just think, and he, he did look frustrated in the second half, didn't he, as well? Because he wasn't getting the service. He was getting a little bit edgy about things. I think we've, we've got a player that if we give them the right service, he will score a little goal. So we've just got to dust ourselves down and Coventry won't get an easier three points for a while yet, which is which is sad. But it was just the defence worries of the life. Right? I mean, when you... Because I didn't watch it live and I need a result and I watch it back, you tend to watch things more. I don't know if you've ever done this, Clive you, and David, but you actually you know what's going to happen. So you're watching positions, you're watching what people are doing. And the marking is diabolical. I don't know what's going on there, but the mark, marking is shocking. So, yeah, just one of them things and got to take it in the chin and hopefully learn from it. But do we ever learn from it? I mean, they made a good group. Is, why we com- we've been complaining about this defence, the defence, for a long time. And nothing really seems to shift the capabilities of it. Not people, not more time together, not gelling, not coaching. Who, who do we? Who coaches? Do we have a defence coach? I don't think we do. Well, this is. <laughs> well, I, did, I mean, I did press Warburton on this uh, when I met him a couple of weeks ago, and it developed into a <laughs> developed into a bit of an argument in the end. Um, I think it's fair to say I like Warburton more than he likes me, as it turns out. Um, <laughs> I mean, the reasons he gave were because we want to play football, the progressive style of football we do, we sacrifice physicality in our team because if you're a six foot four bloke who can also pass the ball, then you're basically a 25 million pound Premier League player. So if you want people that can pass the ball, they're going to have something wrong with them somewhere else. And if you want someone who's six foot four, they're not going to be able to pass. That was one of the reasons he gave. Another one was we're often marking you know, 30, 40,000 pound a week, five, eight million pound strikers with Conor Masterson, who's like free transfer, four, 5,000 pound a week defender, you know, some of them were, in his opinion, were undefendable. Uh, some of them were individual mistakes. Um, so what's he saying? The talent pool of defenders is so large, is so small that we can't compete for them properly. So we have defenders who are not good enough, but they're the best defenders we can get. Basically, yeah, without within our budget, I th- I think his argument is the the amount of money we've got to spend on players and wages is far less than people are giving him credit for, basically. And he's, you know, going in against Lewis Graben, who Forrest are paying forty five thousand pounds a week with Rob Dickey and Johan Barbe. You know, that's 
Um, I mean, it's a little bit red nappy for, for my taste, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. They've, where they've got good players, haven't they? Um, I've never been a big sort of fan of that. I mean, it's a fair point maybe until, like I say, you let Carl McFadzin go over the top of you three times in three minutes because McFadzin's a dog. Like, if you offered me McFadzin now, I wouldn't sign him. Um, you know, he wasn't good enough at this level for Burton Albion. So basically none of the, none of the defences he put forward really justify what happened at Coventry on Friday. But to be honest, I pushed him four times and we ended up having a row about it. Uh, and uh, so I didn't want to push it again. But I, I, I was under the it was Chris Ramsey who did the defence, but I could be completely wrong. And maybe I heard that from someone or it was a dream or something. I don't know. But I'm quite worried about that, Clive. That, that worries me. Like we're judging players and saying, right, you're worth 50 quid. He's worth 40 grand. Don't worry so much. He's in big money. You're not. And if he scores well, that's just down to wages. The goals, <laughs> the goals that we can see nine out of ten times just down to stupidity more than anything else. It's not do we just it's just we're just not defending properly. I'm not saying it's the manager's fault, I'm not saying it's the player's fault. It's a collective fault. So I'm quite surprised at answer and also quite worried because the midfield for the first forty minutes last week, we looked like Barcelona. We were just spraying it around. It was we put the fear of God into Coventry. I don't know. That's so did you anyway, do you make up a Warburton and, and shake hands and uh, well obviously tap, tap hands or whatever you do these days and or did you think he, he shook hands with me afterwards uh, and you know we had a chat and it was fine in the end. But um basically basically I was a clever shit like I am sometimes and uh, he I'd pressed him a couple of times on the defence and he was getting you know, he was obviously putting his point of view across and he's a bit prickly when you push him on why we concede so many goals. And like I say, I don't think that he thinks he's given enough credit for putting together a competitive team on this budget. But um, he said that the wages at QPR now are quite heavily weighted bonus-wise. So, you, And uh, one of those bonus schemes they've got is you get more money if we score off set pieces and money gets taken off you if we concede from set pieces as part of the bonus structure. So he said quite apart from anything else, professional pride, league table, they lose out financially if we do concede off a set piece because they get paid less. Um, so I been because I'm I just can't resist sometimes and I'm a right clever shit. I said, well, some of their overdrafts must look like mine then, and uh, he not a fan of that, not not a fan at all. Um, <laughs> uh, he said it, it was typical of the derogatory and uh, insulting comments I make about his players apparently. So uh, yeah, that was tense. Hang on, he said that to you. Yeah, go and read the interview, mate. It's all on the website. Yeah, he said uh, derogatory and insulting. No. He said it's typical of your interviews. Yeah, he uh, no, not of my interviews, but uh, it's fair to say that he's read a couple of things on Loft for Words and is not a fan. Interesting. I mean, <laughs> it's interesting. That I actually done. like Warburton. This is a stupid thing. I actually think he's great. Like, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to sit there and you know, glad hand a team that concedes 76 goals in the way that we conceded. And nobody would respect your professional integrity if you did. But at the same time, it would be nice if we got off for some reason why when we have a free kick, everyone in the loft um, goes to the toilet at the same time. Hmm. Do, you you know? th- do, you, do you think criticism of Lumley is fair from Friday night? Um, yes and no. I think They're not particular goalkeeping errors. I think he could have sorted his feet out better for the first goal. And... I found his positioning and stuck to the line for the second goal a bit weird, but I don't think you could really say that either goal were like obvious goalkeeping errors like some of the ones he's made in the past. Um, 
I'm, I'm fascinated to see what happens with the goalkeeper. Sadly, we'd fallen out to such an extent that I, I didn't really get an answer on the goalkeepers because they asked that question afterwards about Senny Dieng, Liam Kelly, Joe Lumley, and uh, well, I didn't really get an answer. I would expect that Dieng is going to get a chance at some point. Well, I thought that because he has, they've just given him a new contract, several, Big three one. years, I think, and they played him a full game in pre season, didn't they? Mm. Mm. And he was highly rated at Doncaster, Clive, wasn't he? I mean, they did. People have raved about him. Yeah, but his numbers at Doncaster are almost, I mean, spookily the same as Lumley's were at Bristol Rovers and Blackpool in the same league. And Warburton's point to me was he, Dieng may look good in League One, may look good in pre-season or whatever, but has never played in the Championship. Uh, so, you know, I think, you know, don't... Let's not do that usual thing where we hype somebody up that we've never seen as the answer to all our problems, I think. It indicates he's not happy, the happiest he could be with his goalkeepers. You go back a year ago, in his mind, it seemed Kelly's the man, Lumley's a good number two. Neither of them have blown anyone away in the last year. And it looks like, as you say, he might, he's probably tempted to give Dieng a go. And why not, I think. What's that, Paul? He's probably tempted to give Clive a go at this rate. <laughs> well, I'm not sure I'd do much worse than uh, some of the games we've seen. The only thing I do wonder is whether there's like a... Is it like the Morrison's meat counter where you take a ticket and get in line? Is it Kelly's turn next and then Dieng after that? Does Kelly get another go or was that Kelly's other go in lockdown? I just Do they still have those tickets? That's super I don't know. I haven't been in Morrison's radius. But Dieng's not even on the bench, is he? Kelly's on the bench at the minute. So is he going to jump ahead of Kelly? Or I don't, I don't know. But the weird thing is they can't all be bad, can they? I mean, they can't. There's got to be a responsibility. I don't know. I mean, have, have we furloughed the uh, goalkeeping coach again, perhaps? I don't know. I mean, you know, it's... <laughs> they can't all... in trouble with that one again. I don't um, think the problem is they're bad. I don't, I don't think either Kelly or Lumley are bad. No, you don't want they're not bad, do you? In a goalkeeper, you want someone you know you can rely on that is going to be the difference that is going to keep out opportunities for the other team that would have been goals that will amass more points. And you just don't have the confidence, you have the confidence that either of them are going to be the cube number one in five years' time. No, the, tr- the trouble is, look, what, what does it stop? I mean, you can't keep swapping goalkeepers because you're going to ruin everyone's confidence. And then what do we do after that? You know, it's but that defence, as Clive pointed out brilliantly, man, you say so, and that's Snoopy. He's having his part to say that he thinks a cat would do better, but it wouldn't. Um, as Clive says, individual mistakes to the goals are really worrying. And if I was a goalkeeper, I'd be cacking myself. I don't think I agree with Clive, and I think I think someone said Rob Green said this on the TV. None of them were unforced errors. So you can't say he's dropped a clanger there, Lumley. You can say his feet weren't right or perhaps he was out of position. But he didn't... The, the, the hysteria around he's messed it up, he's made a mistake, I don't think that happened. I didn't see that. They weren't unforced errors and there's a very big difference between that and his feet not being right and him not giving himself the best chance of saving it. Yeah, that's what I mean by... I wouldn't exactly lay any of the goals at his door, but it wasn't good goalkeeping. I think there is a uh, there is a, a a happy medium between the two, an unhappy medium. <laughs> um, Manning, what do we? Manning, have? I just Manning. 
I hope he know. I hope him and his agent know what they're doing because um, just point blankly, point blankly refusing like miles apart on money, as far as I'm aware, um, making it pretty obvious that he's angling after his free transfer next summer. Um, so Warburton's not going to pick him, which unfortunately means at the moment Lee Wallace plays there, and he was particularly awful, I thought, on Friday. Um, but you know, Manning's Manning's had zero zero interest all summer from anywhere. Like the, we've had one tentative offer, and that was last January from Blackburn, and would fit into the category of being derisory. I think the money they they were talking about offering. There's been okay. no, there's been zero interest. Not like Bright or Eze. I mean. But what's this current climate? Where does I don't understand the logic in keeping him out. The 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 guy is is allowed to decline the new contract. He's allowed to do that. He's not under an obligate. He's he's not under an obligation to take a new one. He's under an obligation to play. And it's not like our squad is overflowing with players, and it's not overflowing with players in on the left side. I don't. What is the logic in him not playing? Is he trying to teach him a lesson or something? I think he's making a point in general, um, not just to Ryan, that we, you know, if you're not committed to the club, you're not going to be in the team. And, you know, I don't want to watch Lee Wallace on Saturday any more than you guys do. But I, I, you've got to support him in that, I think. And I, again, it wouldn't surprise me if Hammerlinen doesn't get a go there reasonably, reason, in reasonably short order. But, you know, if Manning is just going to try and drag us all the way through to next summer leave on a free transfer, then I'm not sure I would pick him either. And let's not pretend we were good defensively with Ryan Manning at left back either, because you know he was often the biggest culprit defensively. Often very good going forward, but um, would you yeah, I, I just the bit I don't get is where the difference is between him and Bright. I, I mean, I think we're closer to agreeing with Bright. So I think if Bright was going to if Bright was going to leave us next summer on a free transfer, would you apply the same? Uh, principle to him and not play him. You have to, you have to, don't you? I can't say I can't say no to that. That would be a big, a bigger blow to the team. I think what's going to happen is over the next whatever it is fortnight, they're just going to take whatever they can get for Manning. Whereas with Bright, he's turned moves down and seems to be a bit closer to actually signing a contract. Um, it's so. really sad. Look. It's really really sad. I mean, whatever way you say, there's 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 footballers climbing over themselves to get clubs and. I don't know who Brian's agent is or what's going on with that, but to fill his head with nonsense like this and then for him to end his QPR like this is, is a damn right disgrace on all sides because it shouldn't be like this. And I actually, Brian's stats are really good and I think he could have worked on his team and he could have grown into a much better player. But if someone doesn't want to play for you and wants more money, then you've got no choice but to set a standard and say, well, I'll play players that want to play, whether it's him or someone that's worth 10 million up front, you've got to apply the same thing. But what a bloody shame. It really is a shame. Interesting hill to die on if uh, Wallace and Hammerlinen aren't available. What's he going to do then? Like, there, is, there is a danger of cutting off your nose to spite your face with all of this. Um, yeah, is, but yeah, but hasn't, got a, hasn't he got a record, though, Clive? said he's only going to play people that agree contracts that want to play for the club that do this, that do that. Yeah, he has. That's yeah. what I mean. What if, what if now he's, he's basically made it clear he's not going to pick Manning while Manning's in his current uh, status? What happens if Wallace and Hamelinen get injured? Are we go, are we going to put you know Barbe at left back and Masterson at so is you know like Good I said you can cut off your nose to spite your face sometimes. Um, right now let's let's 
go on to sort of the bigger, not the bigger story for us, but kind of what seemed to be the bigger story that came out of the Coventry game, um, which was the pointing out by Sky that neither QPR or Coventry players took the knee. I believe it was the first EFL game that was on Sky this season. And so I don't think you can correct me if I'm wrong, but no one took the knee in the Forest game. Uh, but this was almost the first time that Sky had noticed it, so mentioned it, discussed it, and then that led to um, a lot of discussion around it, a lot of upset, and the club bringing out a very punchy statement on the Monday. I think it was the Monday. Uh, on the Monday, um, with quotes from Les Ferdinand saying that, um, the, the gist of it, I'm paraphrasing that, the taking a knee had reached a level of symbolism that meant it was kind of a PR stunt and a bit meaningless and the action was more important and rightly pointing out all the very progressive things that QPR do and continue to do in this area. Um, what? <laughs> who wants to go first on this? Finney's point. Okay, well... Look, I, was, I didn't actually want to come on tonight and talk about this because I'm just acutely aware of being middle-class white boy in situations like this. Um, but here I am. So if you want me to have a run at it, this is what I think. Well, well you go. I've got a feeling we slightly disagree. On well, I think, we dis- I think we're going to disagree on my first point, which was I just think it's a non-story. I think it's typical of Sky... Um, to act like football doesn't exist unless it's happening on Sky. Teams haven't been taking the knee this season. We didn't take a knee in the first game. Coventry didn't take a knee in their first game. Joby McEnough, who sat in the studio during our game and talked about how disappointed he was, plays still plays for Leighton Orient, was on the bench for Leighton Orient at Mansfield last Tuesday and didn't take a knee there. So he's not so disappointed that he feels the need for Leighton Orient to take the knee. Isn't that right? But because because it's a Sky game, somehow it's different. So I, d- I don't get that. It's just it's like the Sky attitude that football didn't take place before 1992. It's like it doesn't happen unless it's on Sky. If it, a tree falls in the woods and Martin Tyler isn't there to commentate on it, does a tree fall in the woods and shit? Like, so first of all, I thought it was a complete non-story and I couldn't believe that they went with it in the manner they did. I know, I think you disagree with that, David. You think it probably was a story worth covering. And I know following him on Twitter, that Dave Mack, who's a far better journalist than me, says from a news point of view, it was completely fair enough. I don't think it was fair enough. Um, The second thing I would say is there's an element of throwing rocks around in glass houses and Sky Sky is owned uh, by Comcast now, not the Murdochs, and is made up of Sky in this country, Sky Italia, Sky Deutschland with an overarching management team of 12-ish, and then another dozen managing in each country. So got 12 commissioning editors or thereabouts in the UK, and again in Italy, again in Germany, and then 12 above them. Among those 50 people managing Sky across three countries in Europe in 2020, there is not a single black person on that management committee. Okay, So for Sky to be even daring to point out Anything like this, I think, is just absolutely incredible and shows extreme lack of self-awareness. This is a broadcaster that has used John Terry as a pundit frequently. Okay, 
So having one black presenter on Sky Sports News in the morning does not a racially equal employer make. And I think they should be getting their own house in order before they start pointing fingers at other people for perceived uh, injustices and wrongs. The third thing I would say, and we won't go into this because um, you've already said it, but you couldn't have come for a worse club than QPR. All right. <laughs> we all know. We all know everything that we, I'm going to say here. We employ more black people at coaching and senior management level than anybody else in the EFL. There's the whole kind Prince thing. There's the whole community trust thing. There's all the Grenfell stuff. There's every, you couldn't have come after a worse club. And I just, to trot that out to fill some time at half time, I just thought showed lack of research and lack of awareness of, of what our club does. Um, but, I all, but, but go on. none of that needs to be wrong. I think almost all of what you said is right. But why aren't Sky entitled to ask it from a, a news point of view? Why are they not? I, 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 I wasn't really around on the weekend. I wasn't on Twitter. I kind of came back on Sunday afternoon and I saw this and I saw it fresh. And when I looked into it, I couldn't help but feeling we're not talking about the issues. We're not talking about whether QPR were justified or not at the moment. I felt there was if I can say, and not upset a million people, quite a lot of oversensitivity about Sky's role in it. I thought they were entitled to ask the question. There is an answer. And the answer to that question is what you just said. You couldn't come for a worse club than QPR. If you want to do that, we'll do that. But why are they not entitled to ask the question? And I didn't sense any Sky throwing QPR under the bus. I thought, it was a question that's asked and there is an answer to it. So I, I, thought they, I thought the way they asked it at half time was over the top and they kind of, someone had obviously got in their ear in the second half and they rode back after full time and started talking about it. I don't think they're entitled to do it for the two reasons I gave. One, they need to sort their own house out. And two, uh, I don't see it as a story because teams haven't been taking the knee for a long time. I keep haven't been doing it for weeks. So that's why, that's why I don't think they were entitled to, um, to do it. Having then rode back at full time, they then clipped out the bits where they were criticising at half time and used it on their social media over the weekend for hits. I mean, you know, fine. If you, if you really must question it at half time in the way that you did, but don't then clip it out and stick it on Twitter so that you can get loads of retweets and conversation going. I'm just not, not for me. I just, I thought it was, I thought it was poor. I think, I think from your own point of view, I think what QPR were trying to do, sadly, was lost in translation to some people as well. I mean, you know, I totally get where um, Les and Chris and everyone else at the club is coming from because even when they've been on the podcast and it was all kicking off and we asked Chris and Les in the podcast, all right, people couldn't see it. Because see from the facial expressions, it's like, we're in our 50s. We don't want to be talking about this anymore. We shouldn't be talking about it anymore. It doesn't, you know, it, it, it should be happening, but it is. And I think what QPR was saying, or looking at it, is like the sick of gimmicks. And they, once, you, once I've seen John Terry take the knee, it's just like, this means nothing to people. This, this is just these people following protocol. It doesn't really mean they're going to look at themselves or look at clubs. I mean, you just got to look at QPR, for instance, right? We've got the, the coaches, and I don't care what kind of people are, but look at the stuff that was said on, on the internet and Twitter, like, you know, um, Black Mafia, stuff like that, though. Let's be honest, it was foul. And that was coming from some of our own supporters. The people were thinking that people were only getting jobs at the club because of the colour of the skin, when 99.9% of football clubs is, is non-colour. Um, so that, that's really sad. And plus, I, I, I understand this anyway. 
on the day, a couple of days after, a guy came into our shop and um, was ranting about it, and, and it, it panicked me a little bit because he said, QPR is my new favourite club, and then went on to a complete racial <laughs> rant about how, like, we didn't do it, and we're great, and we, 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 we we're anti-Black Lives Matter, we're anti-this, we're anti-that. And I, I, I was trying to point out that he completely missed the point, and if anything, we were making a statement saying the total opposite, but it, it was wasting a lot of people, and of course, people on Twitter get excited about it, they start arguing about it, and it becomes mad and racist stuff coming out, and it's just like, guys, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know, I'm just really disappointed. So, I, I hugely respect the way that the club has gone about most of it. I'm not sure how I personally feel about the call that they took not to take the knee, but I understand why they did it. The mistake I think they've made is not anticipating the unintended consequences of that statement and not taking the knee. And the unintended consequences are people, the, the All Lives Matter brigade, which we may have people listen to the podcast and that's their, their, their kind of, they, they have that particular view and oppose the BLM movement. But I think it's a very nuanced issue and gets very confused. And I think it's kind of liberated that and people who want to make a big deal about that being a political issue, it's given them voice. And the people that you're talking about, all of a sudden now it, it's it's done it's had done some damage in the way that they weren't intending to do at all um, i actually I, d- I do agree with with that i mean i was going to finish up by saying that i'm just i hate gestures over actions anyway i just think this country and our society and social media is obsessed with big flouncy gestures over actual yeah. you know action you know you see it you see it around the poppies now with football clubs trying to outdo themselves of who can pay the most respect in November and you get you know people walking out in giant poppy costumes and you know nonsense like this the country values gestures and statements and slogans over over action for me Um, and you see it with the NHS you know Boris Johnson stands outside his house on a Thursday night and claps for a minute for the NHS when a vote comes up to increase nurses pay he votes against it we saw all of the outpouring of Grenfell. This must never happen again. This is terrible. When a vote comes up to ban flammable cladding, they vote against it. The inquiry, we still don't have a result of the inquiry. People are wiping their laptops and stuff. But, you know, we put a green heart out and we, you know, we love Grenfell. It's just, it's gestures over actions all the time. And when lead to taking the knee while picking Kiko Kassir as their captain, he's racially abused a player this year. He's been banned this year. And Leeds are taking the knee. Chelsea are taking the knee. They're in the midst of a very expensive legal defence against people who said they were ritualistic and habitually racially abused in their youth team in the 80s. Instead of just compensating those people and making it right, they're fighting it through the courts, and yet they're taking a knee. Liverpool, the Luis Suarez T-shirts, they're taking a knee. Aston Villa employ John Terry. John Terry himself is taking the knee. It's just gesture over action. And it, it just it does my head in. And I think QPR are right not to do it. However, like you say, there is a minority of people who are racist. There is a minority of people uh, who will be attracted to QPR because of this. Um, who will think that we're making a stand for their viewpoint when we're absolutely not. And that is, as you said, unintended consequence and unfortunate.
Well, going back to the puppy thing, you're quite right in, in, in what you say there. I mean, we all were a puppy. We all respect the British Legion and stuff, but there's still a massive amount of ex-service personnel that are homeless and less destitute, and we need to help them. And as you say, when people dress up sometimes, it's like the point's forgotten. It becomes more nationalist when the whole thing was that we didn't want war. We hate war. We're anti-war. Uh, anyway, but it just shows you the, the, the thing with Tickle Knee has become diluted because it's like everything that they do it's like Grenfell everyone wears a green badge and it people are like to wipe the computers like Clive summed it up really I don't know I'd like to see a day I when... think there's a room for symbolism and gestures but I agree and they're not mutually exclusive you can do both and I still have some misgivings you know about them not taking we did, however... we did that we did it at the start right we took the knee at the start and everybody took the knee at the start now it's act- are we meant to just take the knee forever and ever is it meant to be an indefinite thing I think if you're going to stop either making the symbol is symbolic gesture or stop action, the gesture is what you stop. I agree with that. I agree. Action trumps gestures. Um, I just worry about these these like these unintended consequences. Like I said. Well, also, how about the FA, UEFA, FIFA take real action against real culprits and start kicking teams out, start kicking chair people out, start doing this, start doing that, and actually make it action so people don't feel comfortable. Wouldn't it be brilliant one day if you have a black manager facing the camera and they just want to talk about shitty defending and not being the only black manager in the Premier League, the Championship, League One, League Two, Conference, whatever, just being, just being a manager? Have you, that- have, you seen the, have you seen the Fleetwood verdict today? No. Wickham made a complaint about a comment made to Bayo Akinfenwer in the playoff semi-final and basically the result is uh, they found that the comment was made. Uh, he did say it, but uh, he didn't mean it like that. So we're just playing on. Like I just most <laughs> Wickham just put a statement out going, "What? What the fuck?" Like, so like you said, nothing's changed. And as Les Ferdinand said so well, say so well, these decisions keep coming because the people making the decisions have no experience of what it's like to be on the end of a comment like that. Totally agree, well said. But can I just add one, one yeah. thing? Sorry. Yeah. I, I don't know if you're going to talk about it. What upset me more than anything was some sort of comment made to one of us on the podcast. Yeah. Because they had an opinion on it, and yeah, that was foul. The, the comment. Do yeah. you want to talk about it? Well, you've nicked my R's end, but yeah. okay, do the R's end, then we'll get back then. But yeah, just, just but do they call our tease, teaser? Stay tuned for our R's end then. And this is the trouble with these sort of things. Once you start, as this podcast does, taking on subjects, suddenly we become white middle-class people who have no experience or we're do-gooders or we're liberals or we're this or we're that. We're all just human beings that have an opinion. I mean, I, I grew up in Notting Hill in the council estate when I moved from Belfast and we were just too busy trying to work and get a job to get through and watch a QPR. There was never any of this at Rangers. And it's, it's sad that we're still doing it now. And I just, I welcome a day we can just talk about rubbish defending a football rather than talking about race because it should be taboo to boo anyone on the basis that no not one single person in this world has a choice of what colour, creed or whatever we are when we're born apart from John Terry who chose to be an absolute arsehole anyway there you go um, I've got to go and hit something in a minute um, <laughs> um, my doorbell rings in the next five minutes yeah. you know what it is well it's, it's a synthetic material so it's not anyone Live, it's not a living being, but we need to talk about the restart being off or coming back to grounds being off. Um, which is really, 
upsetting and depressing, I think. And like, I feel for the club and every club up and down the country because you can see with your own eyes how much work they have all put into it. I know everybody has been doing this in their own workplaces, in their own situations, but you can see just the reams of writing and paper and policies and you know they've been absolutely working their nuts off to do this. Um, and it's off and it doesn't look like we are going to see them in the flesh anytime soon. Yeah, it's disappointing, like, isn't it? It's really, really, really sad. I, I, I don't think we'll get in this season. I don't want Clive thinks, but no. I'm depressed and, and people talk about refunds and season ticket refunds. But it's not just that. It's a whole community aspect. It, a football club survives on its community and its fans. And we've been stripped of that. As I say, even I. When we're playing away, I still think I'm going to go to Waybatch. And then about five seconds later, I catch myself on and think, Jesus, of course I'm not going to that one. Mental health-wise, it's not good for fans and it's not good for the game because watching it on streams is killing the game. I don't I don't want to get political for the second time of the night because it just annihilates my, my Twitter mentions. But <laughs> the rules are so ridiculously contradictory that I can... I will be watching Saturday's game in the Crown and Scepter in an indoor pub with my mates, but I can't walk down the road and sit with the same friends and watch the same game in an outdoor venue. Which would be more regulated because you wouldn't, you probably would have to wear a mask. You wouldn't be able to sing. You, yeah. I just, I find the rule, the rules are getting so contradictory and they're, they're coming up with so many different workarounds and fudges like the grouse shooting. Like if we all say we're going down to Loftus Road to shoot the Loftus Road squirrel, does that mean we can go in and 30 of us can go, you know? because they've had to make this exemption for the hunting lobby. And there's just all these weird contradictions that makes it incredibly annoying. I don't particularly want to dig any further into the politics because like I say, it just, it kills my Twitter mentions. What I would say is people, if people who were saying we still need to sign four or five players, yeah. we need to sign a striker, we need to sign a left back, we need two midfielders, we need a new goalkeeper, we need six signings, spend the SA money, all the SA money on footballers, look out your window, like look out your window and get real, put the news on for half an hour, right? That SA money is going to be keeping our club going this season. It's not going to be spent on footballers, whether we need them or not. I don't think anyone would deny that the squad is well short. We lack quality in key areas and we lack bodies and numbers. Like if Dykes gets injured, we're playing a midfielder up front basically, but just, think on now this news this week there's basically no fans in ground at all and we were already losing a million quid a month so it is batting down the hatches time and just get 50 points by hook or by crook but do not expect that as money to be going on footballers because just look around i mean macclesfield went this week there will be other clubs going i agree with you the most important thing is that we're here at the end of it and we will be qpr will be and print off a picture of Eze and stick him up on your wall and pray down to it as often as you can because that the combination of that man being that good at that time and attracting that transfer fee means we're going to be okay. And wasting wasting it, spending it seems uh, spending it excessively is 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 unnecessary. Not going to happen and shouldn't happen um, for the foreseeable. But then again, saying that, David, all this wouldn't really matter if, if the Premiership and the FA and the Football League to work together and, and actually pass the money down the leagues to secure the other clubs. But it won't. We'll just carry on playing 
some players six hundred thousand pounds a week when there's a flipping epidemic and clubs are going under for a hundred thousand. It's it's insanity beyond insanity, and sadly it just shows the obsession with the Premier League that the, the whole football league is going to be killed off to keep Premier League going, which is ridiculous. I think any money that does come down from the Premier League would come with all manner of catches that we wouldn't want, like Premier League won't be in the League Cup anymore, B teams in League Two, even more uh, EP3 type regulations about who they can come and nick from our academy teams. I'm not actually sure you'd want money filtering down from the Premier League because it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be that much and it would come with all kinds of catches. Um, any money will never be enough to sustain 72 clubs with zero income and big contracts over yeah, there. But like I say, I'm still seeing on Twitter, you know, announce so-and-so, announce this, announce that, sign this, sign that. We're well short. Just get real, guys. Come on. Um, ours ends. Well, I've already trailed mine. So I'm going to talk about it now, which was, which is kind of... of, of moves on from comes on from the last but one subject we were talking about which was the discussions around race in football and one of our podcast family one of our colleagues Flo got some disgusting is the only way I can put it some disgusting comments on Twitter this week which were around this debate around race and it made me really upset for her and upset that we are kind of that, that we have to deal with this shit quite frankly and that she does in particular and we sort of we have a bit of a laugh about it and we brush it off but the criticism we get on this podcast through social media has got worse over the 10 years we've been doing it we've got pre- and our numbers haven't changed particularly um so our numbers haven't changed in the last four or five years in terms of followers. They were high a number of years ago and they've kind of haven't grown hugely since. We never used to get any of it, but we do now and we get bits and pieces. And to be honest, that's fine, or at least that's fine for me. But when it crosses into the over into the lines of some of the stuff that uh, one of our colleagues got, um, it certainly made me think, why the hell are we doing this? And it uh, it just it also brought out huge admiration that I already had in me for Flo in what she has to deal with. I guess why why am I saying what I'm saying? Well, first of all, probably the 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 vermin that did it is probably listening. So please don't please don't listen to our podcast again. You're not welcome here. And other people who will have observed it um, will be aware of it. And the best thing you can do to help is. Um, try and help us stamp it out i reported the guy if you've seen it please report the guy um and just like when we see these things because i think this idiot is still knocking around somewhere um and i don't think he's the only one help us to try and stamp it out and i'm sorry flo that's me yeah well i'll I'll keep it short then and just use mine to second that i mean like i said earlier my twitter mentions get to me sometimes and you know, keep me awake at night. And that's good. That's why I basically don't want to come on your podcast anymore, David, to be honest, if, if I'm, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, but having been out with Flo, um, you know, just casually having a drink and she's shown me some of the stuff that comes into her mentions and DMs basically partly because of her point of view and maybe partly because she's a woman or whatever. And I just couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. And 
how she has the good sort of sense and grace and strength of character to keep going regardless and just keep pursuing her dream of covering football professionally while all of that's going on. She had like just utmost respect to her because I wouldn't, I'd have given up long ago. The stuff that she gets is vile. And that one this week in particular was just, I, I couldn't believe it. Well, I could, to be honest, cause I know, I know what Twitter's like, but yeah, just um, really upsetting. It's, it's quite simple though, Clive. My, 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 listen, I give as good as I get in life. I always have, always will. And I make things hard for myself. But that one was foul. It didn't need to be put out there. And it's just, and people wonder why some women don't get involved in football. Freaking behave yourselves, people. And show some bloody respect. And, you know, my attitude is, the reason why we do this podcast is because we keep going and we keep saying and we keep allowing those opinions to be heard. Flo's entitled to her opinion is anyone is, any QPR fan is, regardless of anything. And it's twisted and sick otherwise. And I'm sending huge solidarity to Flo because it was disgusting and wrong. And yeah, they walk among us. What can you say? And hopefully everyone will support Flo. And the best, the, it the is best possible part. to... Sorry, it, go on. it is possible to disagree with someone without being a prick. Finney, Finney I agree with about 7% of what you say. <laughs> and we come, on here every, we come on here every week and we have a back and forth... And we sit in the pub and we have a back and forth. But, you know, it is possible to do it without being a prick to each other. I mean, you even cut your hair off to try and copy me. Don't think I didn't notice that. (laughs) No, but that's the difference. Listen, people, listen, I'm no angel. I've been a complete twat dickhead myself sometimes. And I've embarrassed myself numerous times and I've had to apologise. There's no harm in doing that. So sometimes it happens, but I've never hopefully gone over the line like that. Well, I know I haven't, not like that way. And it's just, it's unacceptable. And, um, Flo's a bigger person for me because I would have just gone after the person and found him and embarrassed him. But we keep this podcast going and we keep tackling these issues and we won't shut up. And um, probably the best answer is why Flo's not here. She's not here because of anything she was said, that was said to her on Twitter. She's not here because this would have been the third football podcast she did today and she tried to fit it in but couldn't. So I think that's kind of more of a testament to what she knows, that she knows what she's talking about. She certainly knows more than me about football and like you say Clive is is forging a very successful career in fairness so, in fairness David my cat knows more about football than you well that's also true now, um, my eyes just quickly and briefly is very quick and personal I haven't been around much on Twitter but thank you to all the messages on Facebook and Twitter about mom really appreciate it a funeral's next Friday bless her and um, I'll be raising a glass to her next Friday night and it's the worst day of my life is upcoming but thanks everyone and I'm sorry I haven't applied to everyone I will get back to you, DM-wise, and thank you. Um, I'm really sorry for the segue, cause, uh, but I can't think of how else to get there. <laughs> we need to do predictions for Middlesbrough. Clive! 2-2. Two, two. I'm just predicting 2-2 two, two for every game this season. 2-2. Two, two. <laughs> I think the defence will look at itself. I think Mark will play back the interview with Clive and realise that Clive is a lovely fella. And um, and just think maybe he had a point, and maybe we'll do some defensive training. And I'm going for a three nil home win, zero mistakes, beautiful football, and Brazil will be in Shepherd's Bush on Saturday. I'm going. Yeah, five. We'll let in goals. We'll score goals. I'm going two two. Right, that's it. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thanks, guys. Um, got through a lot. Um, 
Right, I don't think that's it, that's it, that's it. Um, hopefully you'll win against Middlesbrough on Saturday. We will be recording the podcast at some point next week. Don't know when. Thank you all for listening. This has been Open All Oz.